Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for joining Talk with Judith tonight. I'm excited again to have a special guest in the house, none other than Mr. Stanley Schofield. Mr. Stanley Schofield, from what I know, I've met him many, many years ago when I was attending the Lawless Senior High School down in the Lower Ninth Ward, and he came in uh, to speak with the children, the young people in the school, and I remember this day like it was yesterday, how his voice, his his message, um, you know, his ministry has impacted, you know, children in the school. I was a young lady, I believe I had to be about 15 years old, uh, so that was about 1995, and uh, I was in Coach Lombard class, and he said, "Well, we're gonna, we're gonna um, take you to uh, uh, the auditorium, and we're gonna have a, a special um, presentation for the young people." And so I do remember vividly going in there with a bunch of students, and we were all sitting in the auditorium, and this this young man came in with a, a, a like a boom box and he had a microphone and I remember that like it was yesterday, the, the message that came out of that, that young man, Mr. Stanley Schofield, <laughs> it was a true impact. And, you know, I, I was shocked one day. I, I thought about him. I was like, I wonder where he is. And, you know, we, we've lost a lot of people um, 17 years ago, uh, due to the storm, Hurricane Katrina here in New Orleans, and people were scattered all about the country. And I've never thought I would ever, you know, run into uh, or ever see a, or hear his voice again. So I am delighted. I am so excited. I, I, I'm, I'm just drenching in tears right now to know that he's still here with us and he's still relevant. And I did see him on a commercial um like a PSA about, uh, you know, uh, black men and, and crime and things like that. And I wanted to just bring him on and just have a healthy conversation as we currently talk about the city and the things that are happening today. How you doing, Mr. Schofield? Hi, fine. I'm doing fine. And you? I'm doing okay. How did I do introducing you? <laughs> oh, well... I'm always kind of hesitant when people say such good things about me. I say, now I have to live up to that introduction. <laughs> but uh, you know, it's fine. Uh, you know, uh, I just got off the phone. Uh, people were calling me from uh, Monroe to come up and do a Catholic uh, youth conference later on next, uh, next month. And I said, well... Uh, I didn't know my my daughter said, "Daddy, you should slow down." And uh, I just said to him, "Yes, I'll come if God allows me to come. I'll come if they need to hear the word." I uh, had a chance uh, last or uh, this month to go to uh, Evening Star Baptist Church for a back to school rally, uh, which I thought was was successful. And then uh, L.W. Higgins called and said, can you come and talk to the freshman class? So I said, only if you let me, and they they did. So I'm still doing the work, you know. Um, People are saying to me, these young people don't want to listen. But they've been saying that for the last 40 years, that young people don't listen. And we found out that's not true. People listen. Now, what they do once they 
hear the word is their choice. And one of the greatest gifts God has given each one of them is the freedom of choice. And and when you understand how much love went into giving us the freedom of choice, that we could even refuse to accept him wow. in, in our choices. So that's the ultimate sign of love, where you give people the right to choose, do they want you or don't you want. So, you know, young people have always listened. You know, sometimes they don't, uh, they're not consistent in what they hear. Uh, they, they make bad choices. But mm-hmm. we who deliver the message have to go. Our only duty is a clear deliverer of the message. Now, whether they accept it or not, that's their choice. But that's why I, I keep going, you know. My daughter said I should slow down. And, of course, the virus has caused us not to make as many uh, school appearances. So, but I'm still doing it. So I pray I do it as long as I'm properly relieved from this post, you know. Wow. And so how long have you been, you know, I don't want to tell my age, but I am, I am, you know, at the 40 mark. And how long okay. have you been? Well, I think, and I'm, I'm just, I'm going to try to go back. I think I started, publicly speaking, in around uh, 73, 74, uh, when I was working with the state, uh, the probation and parole officer, and they said, you know what, maybe we need to do some prevention. And one of the best ways to do prevention is to get somebody out there talking to our kids in the schools and stuff like that. So around 72, 73, I started going out to schools. And I've been doing it ever since. Wow. Wow, that's a blessing to know that, you know, you have lended your voice to the community. You're like an icon here in the city of New Orleans. And I know that, um, you know, a lot of people may not remember because we have a lot of people in the city that's not from New Orleans. But I Mm -hmm. remember, you know, I left for 10 years, (laughs) went to Los Angeles, and I came back. I never forgot you. Uh, right now, a group of guys are uh, in the process, I'm told, of doing a documentary on me uh, and my work. Uh, one of my sons is uh, working with a, a producer out of Las Vegas, and they want to do a, a documentary on me. Now, you know I objected to that. I said, wait, hold up. Anything I've done is by the fish of God. So I don't want to get the big head and think I've done all of this. I just didn't know that people need to hear your story. So they're in the process of doing it. They said they don't put it on Netflix. I, I'm kind of scared about that. But, you know, um, when I talk to people, and uh, they ask me, the, the guys who are putting me, Dr. Manning together, they said, give me a list of people that maybe we could interview and find out a little about you. And as the list got longer and longer, people started calling me and saying, can I be a part of it? And I said, well, look, all I can do, and if you have a story, his name is Juan Walker, J-U-A-N Walker. He can be, you go on Facebook and uh, Googling his name, and he has a website if you have a story. Uh, 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 where I've been a part of your life, 
he would like to hear it. So he, he's asking uh, as many people as he can. So, you know, I, I, I humbly want to say, you know, uh, I've enjoyed doing what I do. Absolutely. If you ever, if you ever witness me doing what I do, I enjoy that because, you know, if God allows me to do it, then I have to show an enthusiasm. And people often ask me, uh, "What did you say to him?" And, and I don't ever remember what I said exactly because I just start talking, and well, you see me do it, but uh, you know, it, it's been a blessing. Uh, the guy asked me, he said, uh, have you, uh, he wanted to know about the teen summit. And I, I told him he had to contact Brother Gerard Stevens, because Gerard was the uh, program director of 93.0 uh, FM when they we they put on the teen summit. I don't know if you remember the teen I summit. Remember. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I remember. And he asked me, did I have any videos of it? I say I know they videoed it, but I I haven't had been privileged to have any videos. You know, one is asked if anybody got videos of me to share them so they could be a part of the uh, documentary. But you know, you keep going. I go to I've gone to churches. Well, you just about every venue I could to deliver the message. Well, I will tell you, um, I am a documentarian myself. And one mm-hmm. of the documentaries that I did many years ago was on my father, who was a local musician, saxophone player, but he only played in the church. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he was anointed gospel saxophone player, but he also played uh, for Bishop Blake, Prophet Blake at New Home. Yeah, yes. Okay, and, uh, yeah. So, um, but I did a documentary on him, and I, I actually, believe it or not, one of my very first documentaries was called Katrina's Kids. And oh, okay. Um, I, I hear that uh, some young man out there just did a, a documentary released through HBO mm-hmm. called Katrina's Babies. And yeah. so, uh, I, you know. That's our history, you know. Yeah. So with that said, you know, I wanted to get into the conversation about, you know, the crime crisis that we have going on in New Orleans. And, you know, um, do... I guess I could just go as far back to say, you know, I listen to so many speakers from pastors to motivational speakers. And, you know, you can even go back and listen to, uh, uh, you know, some of the civil rights leaders, you know, mm-hmm. Dr. Martin Luther King, Reverend Jesse Jackson, way back and go even f- further beyond those to see how much they have talked and, 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 and talked about, you know, violence and crime and things like that. Why are we still seeing this today after all of the work people like you, which, you know, would be a pioneer of, you know, to motivate people. Why are we still dealing with some of these issues today? Okay. Uh, You know, I'm a psychology major finishing from Southern University. And one of my professors said to us in our, advanced class, be careful about making snap diagnosis without understanding the total environment and the total record of the patient. See, if we don't understand that that hidden hand that continues to promote
promote the destruction of black males, now black females. If we don't understand that, we'll be spinning our wheels and saying, well, why? It's like I, I, I've tried to make the analogy. You watch two pit bulls fight each other, and you say, oh, look how vicious they are. Why would? But you don't understand they've been trained to be uh, that vicious and fit. If they ever would just stop for a minute before they fight and say, you know what? If we join forces, we could run just about everybody in this room out who came to watch us kill each other. <laughs> You're right about that. And That's run true. out. See, listen, Carol said, slay the male child and spare the female. Now, it's in the Bible. Slay the, the male child and spare the female. But now, because the female is so potent, they're saying just slay all of them. Wow. Uh, you know, when we look at our community, first of all, you say, let's take the guns away from the young men. Let's take it away. Take the guns away. But yet you got a large segment of our community saying, we ain't giving up our guns, all right? That's our, our rights under the Constitution, all right? And, and one of the arguments is, why do you want to make us give up our guns and they're going to get guns illegally? Stop. Wow. When you say that, stop right there and hold that point. We do not make guns. Guns are brought in our community at an alarming rate. I remember being in Los Angeles when I talked to the Crips in the blood. They said, you know, they got a call, the Crips got a call one night, go down by the railroad station, uh, boxcar numbers, them up, uh, and you'll find something in it. They went down, they found a number of guns. The blood, on the other hand, was called and told to go to another yard, a railroad yard, where they found a box car with guns. Who's doing this? They're doing it because they understand that if you keep us impoverished, mm -hmm. where we don't have the basic necessities, anytime you bring anything that would give us an illusion of making money, mm -hmm. even though it's small money, we're going to go for it, all right? People cheat on the income tax. People cheat to get uh, food stamps. Get on well, anything they can do. Then what are you doing in the meantime? You start saturating our community with drugs. And not just weed. You're talking about crack. Okay, crack is one of okay. the most devastating drugs that have ever been introduced into our community. And then what you bring in, you bring in the dope. Now you bring in the guns. Then you bring in what they call our foreign... Alien brothers, the Mexican, Mexican, you bring them into our community with drugs and guns. And now you got people out there just murdering you. And the Bible talks about as blood will flow to the horse's brow. I'm talking about the horse, talking about that mass murder would be so prevalent that it would be just maddening. And see, if you don't understand that, you know, well, on one end, a large segment, of the, the majority of our population said, we ain't giving up our gun. Right. Then on our end, we're saying because we're shooting and killing each other, we got to give up the gun. It just doesn't work like that. Okay? Now, 
people are saying, and I understand people are grabbing for straws because we're losing some. Um, uh, Ezekiel, uh, Ezekiel in Homer, a little boy was strangled by his parents. Ezekiel Harris was strangled by his parents. That never happened in our community before like that, where parents were actually just killing little babies for no reason other than the fact that they were annoyed. But see, what has happened now is that we've been reduced to the level of a beast in many instances. Because even, even some animals, if you notice, won't attack small animals. They'll just run them all. Mm-hmm. But we're at the point that we're killing babies, we're killing women, we're killing each other. See, and now people have said, well, you got to give them a job. I, and, you know, as a, as a psychologist, I said, wait a minute. If money was the answer or the answer, why do we have so many famous people who have access to money doing such bad things? Money has never been the answer, but we thought it would be. We have uh, people who are fabulously wealthy committing suicide. Yeah. We have people whose children are fabulously wealthy taking uh, these painkillers and stuff, uh, almost committing suicide. So it's not just money. Well, we, we thought that we sent them to school. Mm-hmm. Well, get a good education. Well, when the civil rights era was, when slavery was abolished, we thought an education was the solution. Instead of bar- uh, bargaining for freedom, we want to be free to determine our own destiny. But we, we took education. Uh, Booker T. Washington said, no, you need to be able to, to farm the land, to be able to provide for your food, clothing, and shelter. W.E. Du Bois said, no, we need an education. Not knowing we needed them both in the proper yes. uh, percentage. Mm-hmm. Uh, right now, people are saying, well, give them a job. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll give them a job. But is that the, the solution that we need? Now, as I looked at it, and I hope I'm not talking too long. No, I'm listening. I'm learning. Listen, <laughs> listen as, as I look at it, they got good people all over this world mm-hmm. who are striving to be upright. They, they, they're doing what's right. But the community we live, see, if you look at our history, where we've had to live, uh, you know, as I travel around the country, and I always make this assessment, everywhere you go, they got a black section. Mm-hmm. They got a project. All right? They got a ghetto. And, and and who lives there? We're the ones who live there. Uh, well, rats, roaches, uh, bed bugs, all kinds of stuff. They don't pick up the garbage. It gets filtered. In an environment like that, it's hard to produce a good fruit. But in, in spite of that, and still, she said that, my Angelo, and still we rise. Mm-hmm. Because, if I, and I'm going to say it right up, if they could have killed us, we would have been dead. And yet we still rise. What I'm saying is good people have always been, your parents, my parents, didn't have a lot. I was telling my grandson, 
he was uh, my granddaughter who complained. One is at my granddaughter. One of my granddaughters at Tuskegee. The other one's at Howard. And they were complaining. Y'all didn't send me any money. I said, listen. When I was at Southern University, I won't tell you the year because I don't want you to start <laughs> guessing how old I am. My poor dear mother sent me every week five dollars. Now five dollars won't get you a cool drink or French fries. All right. But she sent it, and that, that sustained me, all right? Because she didn't have a lot. But she did the best she could. She worked two jobs. I never went hungry. I never was raggedy. So he was able to provide for me. There are a lot of good parents like that. They're doing the best they could. I remember in the 50s and the early 60s when, when people started to ask to get on welfare. And one of the criteria of getting on welfare was there couldn't be no man in the house. Yep. <laughs> All right? Wow. I don't know if you remember I, that. I remember. But they, mm-hmm. they were very strict. No man. Well, if you don't have, and, and I'm going to say this, get angry with me, but I believe that steel, fashion steel, it's hard for a woman to raise, to make a man. She can bring a male into the world, but he has to... In order, Brother Dana Andrews said it so beautiful. In order to be a man, you have to see a man. You wow. have to know what men do, how they do it, and who do it consistently. And so, you know, when they took the male out the house, then the, the mother was left with trying to raise the young boys. Uh, I love my son and raise my daughter. That that became a. a, a a cry, I love my son, raise my daughter, was a cry. And mothers have been doing the best that they could. But when you start bringing dope in and saying, look, bro, if you sell this, yeah, you can make you a few dollars, all right? Uh, now, if you're going to sell it, you're going to need something to protect yourself, all right? Because sure enough, if you're successful at selling it, somebody's going to try to come and cop you, your little package. So this is where you're starting to see that problem. Now, when parents in the schools, I remember at Southern University, when I was there, they started saying the male, you don't want to go in elementary education. You want to go in secondary education, high school. Right. So a lot of male teachers who were going into elementary education started to opt out to go into high school, so you didn't have that strong male figure in the elementary schools, all right? Mm-hmm. A little while later, they found out that if you got kids involved in athletic activities, it helped. And I remember in the middle school, uh, we used to have great athletic programs, but all of a sudden, they stopped paying the coaches, and, and they took uh, athletics out the middle school. The junior high had it. But at one point, they had middle school, junior high, high school. All right? See, they had that, that continuum that provided strength for the young male as well as the female. All right? But a lot of times, they've taken these programs out or underfunded them. So what I'm saying to you is, the question is, what do we do now? And mm-hmm. uh, You know, people are saying, well, we've tried this. We've got this. We've got some of the things. We've got all uh, all these good programs, uh, the brothers, uh, uh, different programs, and they're doing a great job. 
but it's not enough because of the urgent need that, that we have in our community. Now, somebody said, well, okay, Scofield, you're not giving me a solution. I said, we've already been given the solution, mm-hmm. but do we fo- listen or do we follow it? So I, I, I have never heard of no solution. I said, because do you believe in the Bible? He said, well, yeah, yeah, I believe in the Bible. Uh, he said, I go by my Bible. No, you need to go in your Bible instead <laughs> of dust it off yeah. and go in it. All right? <laughs> and I said, our instructions have been given, but we won't follow it. He said, oh, man, you're tripping now. I said, well, I'm going to read something, and I want you to remember, Julie, uh, to keep, keep uh, repeating this to people. Because if God said it, then who's the best knower? God is. He told us what we needed to do, but we won't do it. We'll listen at uh, uh, what they're saying in the French Bible. We'll listen at the second line. We'll listen at the, uh, uh, on the lake, but we won't listen to God. Oh, come on, Scopio. Tell me what God said. I'm going to say, all right, I'm going to pull it up for you. And I want you to remember what I said, because my job is to deliver a clear message. It says 2 Chronicles 7, 14. If my people, mm-hmm. which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and give okay. and forgive their sin and heal the land. Now, I don't know. I can't listen to the president. I can't listen to the governor. This is coming from God, the word of God. If my people, listen, will humble themselves. It's hard for God to use you when you're arrogant. I'm better than you. I'm this and I'm that. God can't use it. If you will humble yourself, see, it's better obvious. And pray. Or don't pray when you go in the court, when the judge about to give you a two lifetime for you killing people, praying to God is a little late to pray. You can pray for forgiveness, but if you say you can pray now, I'm like, have that judge ease the time, you're not going to do it. If you will pray and seek my face, face. how many of us truly seek the face of God? Wow. 